grace, mercy, and peace to you from him who was, who is, and who is to come, the Lamb who was slain. Amen. On March 27th, in a high-security Christian school, three children and three adults had their lives taken at the hands of evil. When you look at the shooting that took place in Nashville, Tennessee, it was not for lack of security. It was not for lack of locked doors, alarm systems, or security cameras. It was not for lack of staff training on active shooter scenarios. It was the reason for why this happened. Despite all of the preparations that were took place in that Christian school, it didn't stop evil. Now, I know this isn't probably why you came to Easter service this morning to think about, but if we don't start by considering death, we won't fully understand the meaning of Christ's victory. There is no absolute way to get ready for death or to prevent evil. Listening to a mom commenting on the whole situation, she talked about how her church was having a dedication day. And as she thought about her children sitting next to her in church, she thought, well, how could I ever dedicate my kids fully to the Lord? How could I ever completely give them away? I'm a mom. She said, I don't know if I could ever be ready to give them up. And if I should live through something so tragic as to lose a child, how would I react? It wasn't until later on after prayer that she was moved to go ahead with the dedication. She concluded in the end, you don't have to, nor could you ever get ready for such a time. And I can agree with that sentiment. There's no getting ready for a tragedy. Not in its fullest sense. There's only living through it. This was exactly, in many respects, the experience we witness in the disciples when their Lord dies. Their reaction to the tragedy of Good Friday began in each of the narratives from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, begins with distress. It begins with distress, which leads to confusion, and ultimately to amazement, and finally to wonder. You see how the disciples' reaction reflects our own reaction to dealing with death. Our first reaction is distress. Jesus warned his disciples about what was coming when he said, A little while, and you will see me no more. And his disciples said, What do you mean a little while, and we will see you no more? Well, Jesus says, You will weep and lament, and the world will rejoice. 
The experience of Jesus' death was the experience of despair. On the cross, to all outward observation, Jesus had been abandoned, and the disciples wondered, how could this tragedy not have been prevented? Could we not have done something to intervene? Could we not have protected? And could not God have protected his only son? Could not the Lord of heaven and earth have done something to stop the evil that came upon Jesus? For a little while, Jesus says, you will experience despair and confusion without having the answers, but only being able to live through it. The cross is the moment where the culmination of sin and the curse on the world is seen and heard and felt and nothing God does stops it. At least not yet. A little while and you will see me no more, Jesus says. In this world you have tri- will have tribulation, but there's more to come. Mary comes to the tomb not yet having realized the truth. She had not yet reached the end of the little while that Jesus is talking about. Her first reaction is panic. Where is his body? Even perhaps a sense of anger. In the face of the very divine, the angels themselves seated in the tomb, she can't see it where a person can be face-to-face with God trying to get a message through to the world, and we don't see it. She can't make sense of it, and they say to her, why are you weeping? And she says to the angels, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have put him. Mary is trying to get control of something that is uncontrollable, like a, a wild, untamed lion. She's trying to take away the sting of death in this futile attempt. Now, with death comes the need for burial, wrappings, anointing, and ritual. Ritual helps us live through tragedy. Mary is trying to live through the tragedy for a little while. And for a little while, God teaches her something, and she teaches us something, that we cannot control the outcomes. We cannot prevent every tragedy. We cannot replace the loss ourselves. Now, that doesn't make it any easier, but it leads us to truth. So Mary, in her distress, looking for just that dignity of of a burial, a closure on the situation, turns around and sees the gardener standing by. And he asks her, what are you seeking? Now, this is an important question, and it's a question that was first posed by the same person, the gardener, at the very beginning of John's Gospel, The first time he talks to his disciples, he says, what are you seeking? 
And now at the end, again, what are you seeking? Because if we don't figure out the answer, if we don't figure out what are we seeking in this world, we won't understand Jesus. In all our hustle and bustle at Easter time to get ready for having family over, or maybe in the midst of dealing with grief or loss, in all the coming and going, the buying and selling, the worrying and wasting, what are we seeking? And so the gardener confronts her with this question, what is life all about? If in the end we die, what does life matter? What are you seeking? Verse 15, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him. Jesus said to her, Mary. That's all it took. Jesus says to Mary, in a sense, Stop. Stop what you're doing. Stop what you're worrying. Stop about trying to control what's going on. Stop everything and just listen. Jesus has accepted all the evil, all the sin. He's made himself vulnerable to all the world's hate, all its greed, lust, pain, sickness, rebellion. And on the cross, Jesus has confronted the greater evil, the one that not only takes physical life from us, but it takes away eternal life. And in Jesus, all sin is condemned. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. And anything you could imagine that you could experience in this world, I have overcome it. He speaks your name. After we have sorrowed, after we've lamented, the little while where we say we haven't seen Jesus, where did he go? He comes back. And we see him again and we hear him speak our name. And then it makes sense. We see him again. He appears as a gardener, someone who gardens, someone who sows seeds, someone who weeds the landscape, someone who's been there the whole time working over the whole creation with all of its ugliness. And now he says, I've made something beautiful. A little while, there's a cold and rainy Saturday that kept us all indoors, not wanting to even go outside until a sunny Sunday morning dawns and Jesus says, I'm making all things new. That's why we baptize our children. Because in the water, 
is the promise of the resurrection. And baptism is a drowning and burying of all evil that we could do or experience in our lives and rebirthing us into a new life and a new covenant. And as parents, you can't ever prepare yourself emotionally for what might happen to your children or watching them go through any kind of difficulty except to entrust them to the Lord. That's why being in worship every Sunday, every Good Friday, every Monday, Thursday, every second Sunday after Easter, every act of prayer and listening to the word is essential to getting us through it. Every Sunday, Jesus is speaking your name personally here to think about you, to think about where you're at, what you've gone through, where you're going. If we can just listen. That's why we live in hope. We stand in the garden with a gardener. We don't recognize him at first because we look around us and we know there's a lot of confusion and distress in this world. There's a lot of sin. But he's the one making things new. And we live in that hope. Not of a burial, depressed, death life that's heading nowhere, but a life that's always and forever promising something better. The experience of the disciples who lived through all of this, Mary, Lazarus, Peter, and John, it's the experience we all live through. Moments for a little while of despair and confusion, teaching us to abandon our hope in the things of this world or ourselves, leading to surprise. The tomb is empty, teaching us we don't get to predetermine or figure out what God's doing, except to let ourselves trust and be willing to be surprised when God does something unexpected that we were not prepared for, and leading finally to wonder. He calls your name, teaching us that beyond the sorrow and confusion, beyond the surprise, is the risen Lord and Savior who calls you by name. How many times did Jesus deliver a personal word to his people in the Gospel of John? How many times is it so personal? Which is one of the unique parts of John's Gospel is how he brings out this personal word from God. It was there at the very beginning when he called Philip and Andrew. It was there with Nicodemus that night where Jesus sat down and had the long conversation about being born again. It was there with Lazarus where Jesus wept at the tomb and finally spoke Lazarus' name. Lazarus, come forth. And now it's there with Mary because Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. 
and I know them by name, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. Jesus knows his sheep by name. And Jesus is holding the hand of each lamb, each one of our children, each one of us, as we walk through this life, and even is holding their hand in death. He's calling them each by name, Lazarus, Mary, Evelyn, William, Hallie, your loved ones. You. There's no getting ready for death, not ultimately, not in the world sense. There's only living through it. And what God is teaching us to do in Easter is to live through it, to live through every moment with the risen Lord Jesus, not the one that's dead, not the body that's missing, to live through it. Not to despair or run away or revolt as if we are going to overcome evil, but to live through it with the Lord who has overcome evil. To walk before the Lord in the land of the living so that at the end of the story, when we've reached that moment, we've heard him call our name, we can run back to the other disciples, we can tell the world, but I have seen the Lord. Amen.